Tony Domino here, and welcome to another edition of the Legal Entrepreneurs Podcast. Here at the Legal Entrepreneurs Organization, we cater to law students and professionals interested in the business of law, in starting their own practice, or in simply selling the best version of themselves. My guest today is Mike Hook. He's the founder of Intrepid Law, a firm that focuses on helping socially, ethically, and environmentally conscious entrepreneurs. Mike will be speaking about his path from a soldier in the Canadian Forces to working on Bay Street and eventually to starting his own firm. He'll also be speaking about the challenges and rewards of running a law firm and his tips on networking and finding mentorship. Mike joins me now. Mike Cook, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. So Mike, you're the founder of Intrepid Law, Toronto-based law firm. Let's start off with what your firm does and the type of clients it helps. Um, so those, really, the, the answers are uh, the answers to the two question are basically one answer. We advise socially, environmentally, and ethically responsible small business. Um, so we're focused not so much on a particular you know type of law or type of practice, but we're a, a general business law practice that's uh, focused on a specific type of client. Uh, and that type of client is the you know the the entrepreneur who has. Uh, a bottom line beyond profit in their business. Uh, I say we because uh, actually hired a, a Osgood student uh, about uh, man, almost two years ago now. Um, to, he practices in areas of wills and estates, and he also does business law. So uh, general practice business law, a lot of corporate uh, law, you know, helping people to set up their businesses uh, and manage those internal relationships between founders, um, as well as uh, a lot of contract work. Uh, helping people to buy and sell businesses, uh, services contracts, uh, working with independent contractors, uh, dealing with intellectual property to an extent, um, and you know all the all the other sort of stuff that goes along with running a business. Uh, employ some employment law, um, some commercial leasing, you know, some entertainment law, that sort of stuff. So. That's, that's interesting. Now, part of our goal here at Leo is to help educate and inspire law students who are interested in exploring entrepreneurship in their career paths. Could you talk a little about a bit about your background and what inspired you to start your own firm? Uh, so the that's a it's a long story. Um, I, I never really intended on being a lawyer. I never really intended on starting my own business at all. It just sort of uh, just sort of happened, and it felt right. Um, <clears throat> You know, I spent uh, a number of years in the army um, before going to law school, even before going to university. I uh, did a tour of duty in Bosnia, um, and while I was over there, I realized that that wasn't something that I wanted to do with my career. Um, and you, before that, I'd worked a number of you know manual labor jobs, uh, you know, slinging eighty-pound bales of rubber and washing dishes and uh, you know. Oh, refinishing aircraft and all sorts of, uh, I call it real work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, with, with all of those experiences, uh, you know, I got a real good perspective on what it's like to, to work for a living. Um, and, uh, the, the, the privilege that education can afford. Um, so it was after coming back from Bosnia, I decided to go to, to, uh, university, um, in university, I took courses that interested me, so I did a, a BA in sociology. And of course, what do you do with a BA in sociology? You go to law school. Um, <laughs> so, uh, went to law school, went in thinking that I was going to be you know, come out the other end as a Bay Street partner. Um, you know, figuring that there's nothing that the world of law could do to me that the army couldn't do to me worse. Uh, so, 
Um, graduated, uh, got a, an articling position on Bay Street, one of the big firms, and hated it. Um, it was not a good fit in any sense of the word. And, you know, like that sort of proverbial frog in boiling water, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't really realize how miserable I was uh, until it ended. Um, and I found out I wasn't being hired back, and it was like a weight was lifted off of my shoulders. Uh, so then graduating with, uh, with law school debt and, uh, you know, just being called to the bar. Uh, by the time that I was called to the bar, if I didn't have to go to my bar call ceremony to be a lawyer, uh, I wouldn't have gone. Wow. Okay. Uh, I was so disillusioned with the with life and law and the practice of law because you know it sort of bought into the uh, you know, sort of the marketing message that you know anything that's not Bay Street is a failure. Um, so you know after my bar call, I took some time to you know sort of get back in touch with myself, figure out what it was that I wanted to do uh, with my life, mm-hmm. um, and I you know didn't really do a good job of figuring out what I wanted to do, but I knew uh, I knew what I didn't want to do. So I figured, okay, I've spent all this money on a law degree. I might as well uh, might as well look for jobs. So I went out looking for that uh, mythical sole practitioner who, you know, baby boomer, retiree, ready to, you know, looking for somebody young and hungry to take over their practice. Uh, all kinds of trouble finding them, and uh, sort of got to the point financially where I needed a job, any job. So my search expanded. Uh, but while all this was happening, uh, people just kept coming to me and asking me for help. Uh, you know, can you help me incorporate this company? Oh, I have a question about you know employees versus independent contractors. Can you put together an employment contract for me? Um, and I went through one particularly frustrating set of negotiations. I got a job offer from a, you know a reputable firm, um, and this is know, after uh, Bay Street. After Bay Street, yeah. Um, so got a got a job offer from a reputable firm, and we were negotiating back and forth about salary and and uh, percent fee splits and stuff. Um, and it came down to they didn't want to, I had two or three clients by that time, um, and they didn't want to take my clients. Uh, whereas, you know, I quite liked my clients. I was rather proud of the fact that I had uh, that I'd gotten them. Um, and so, you know, I basically hung up the phone with them, went into a meeting with a with one of my first clients, and, you know, we went together, or went through the through the employment contract together, and he said, okay, let's make these last couple of changes, and uh, then when you're, when you're done, send me a bill. Um, and then he said something to me that I'd never heard anybody say to their lawyer in the whole time I would I worked on Bay Street or you know up to that point in my life. He said thank you, thank you, uh, which was you know sort of a, <laughs> a, a mind blowing as, as far as an aha moment goes. That mm-hmm. was that was probably it. Um, so I walked out of that meeting and just thought to myself, well, why don't I just do this instead? Uh, and that was essentially the start of Intrepid Law. So I woke up the next morning and sat down at my breakfast bar and opened up my laptop and you know, tried to figure out how do I how do I start a law practice. Wow. Okay, so there's there's a lot to unpack there for our listeners. Um, so this whole I guess um, finding. Let's start with this whole Bay Street and finding it wasn't a fit for you. I guess what aspects of it kind of didn't jive with you? Was it just, I guess, the long hours and not having control of your time? Because I know now you seem to have quite a command of your time. And um, not so much the, you know, the hours. Like the the hours are shorter than yeah. army hours, um, and you know, I'm I'm quite effective with managing my time. And you know, when it's when it's time to go in and work, I'd go in and work. So I'd go in at you know eight o'clock every morning, mm-hmm. um, and I'd leave about six thirty every night. Uh, so I'd be putting in about ten and a half hours in that time. I'd bill probably about seven and a half or so. 
Um, but the type of work I was doing um, and the sort of lack of control over that, um, which I guess you never really have control over what works comes to, comes to you. It's the client's work and they'll, um, but you being that far removed from the human aspect of it, um, where, you know, that's, that's the Bay street business model where you, uh, you work on very small parts of very large projects. Uh, and eventually over time you work your way, yeah, you know, if you're successful, you work your way up that, uh, up that pyramid. Um, but you know, I had a hard time caring uh, when I was that far removed from you know the the realities of you know, what. It, so when I give this piece of legal advice, how does this fit into the overall picture? Um, I didn't get the mentorship uh, that I was looking for. You know, I, I think I saw my mentor twice for lunch, um, and that you know somehow he he would have managed to get six hours of continuing professional development credit out of it, and yet I only got two hours hours of his time in ten months. Um, so that was frustrating, and it, I think the real indicator for me was I woke up every morning and I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to get out of bed, um, which even on the crappiest day in the army, you still you're motivated to get out of bed and uh, and to get on with your day. So um, you know it was really a factor of sort of listening to um, you know listening to the signs that my mind and body were sending me that that this wasn't for me. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to say that it's something that I realized when I was there, but I really didn't figure it out until afterwards, just, you know, how, how miserable I was, uh, which is not to say, you know, if, if that's something you want to do and you're going into it with eyes wide open, um, and you're, you know, you're willing to, uh, to make the trade of, you know, your, your time and, you know, and such for, you know, the, whether it's the prestige or the money or whatever it is that attracts you there, uh, more power to you. It just wasn't for me. Um, so you've spent quite amount of your time in the Canadian reserves, right? And that's, I mean, that's a very unique, um, sort of perspective that I think you bring. Could you tell us a little about, a bit about your experience there and, you know, how it, what you learned and how this experience sort of helped you in your path to entrepreneurship and, and what uh, you're doing now? Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, the, the army is not a, Completely unique path to law. There's, uh, I, I, I tend to know a lot of army guys or army guys and girls turn lawyers, um, and sort of people the other way around. And there are uh, lawyers in the army. Okay. Um, I joined the joined the reserves when I was uh, in grade ten. I did it through a co-op program uh, and stayed in for eighteen years. And like I said, I did a tour in Bosnia. Um, it, it probably the biggest thing it taught me is perseverance. Um, you know, the challenges that you face in in a career in law um, compared to a career in the army, they're very different challenges. Um, you know, the, the army is physically taxing on top of being uh, you know mentally taxing uh, and potentially quite dangerous as well. Um, but the the ability to sort of look at an obstacle and realize that you're capable of overcoming it, um, you know, but in order to do things that you don't think you're capable of doing, uh, it generally takes a, a pretty strong focus on it, uh, a good deal of discipline, uh, some planning skills, uh, and you know teamwork and leadership, um, which are you know, those are really basic life skills, mm -hmm. which are never really formally taught outside of the no, army. Not. Yeah. Um, so you know, and all, all of those things are are not in addition to being basic life skills, they're also really good lawyer skills. 
Um, and you know, particularly for an entrepreneur, you know, you, you have to be a self-starter. Nobody's going to make you get up in the morning. You know, nobody's turning on your lights at five o'clock in the morning and telling you it's time to go for a run. Uh, it's you know, you got to get yourself out of bed every morning. You got to get your you know get your stuff together, organize your day, and and go about it in a you know in a systematic way. Um, so you know, those sort of intangible skills, I guess, uh, are the are some of the most valuable lessons that I took away from the army. Uh, the second piece of that is uh, is having a network, um, and when you when you start your own business or indeed like when you when you start your own practice because every lawyer is really in practice for themselves, um, whether you're at a big firm or a small firm, uh, being able to uh, reach out to the people that you know to generate business to put food on your table mm-hmm. um, is a, is a super valuable thing and uh, the close knit community of the army. Uh, has a there's a pretty strong impetus for uh, soldiers to help soldiers and veterans to help veterans uh, because you all you already have that bond you already have that thing that'll get you in the door Um, so through the people that I know in the army uh, and there's you know formal networking groups and then there's the informal you know they so many people that I'd never met before uh, went out of their way to help me in the early days of my business just because we had this this military connection and you know we weren't even in the army in the same countries okay. <laughs> from from and you know not even in the same you know I had air force guys from south africa that uh, you know were a little more established in the business community and they were willing to to introduce me to people and help me look for jobs uh, help me to find clients help me to find mentorship and people who can who can advance the business um, so you know, in it, some in very direct ways in the in the skills that I learned, uh, but I think probably most importantly uh, is the people. Okay, so that gets into my next, I guess this next topic. We we all know that law students tend to be you know this hardworking, intelligent, detail oriented breed, and there's no doubt that these traits are important for a law career, but. We also hear this term, you know, soft skills or social intelligence or charisma, or however you want to frame it. Um, it's the ability to successfully build relationships and navigate social environments. Um, and as you said, for lawyers, it translates into building and maintaining these relationships. So, um, I guess how, you know, you, you've touched upon your your how you've built this sort of um, network. But I mean, is, is this just, uh, does this seem to be more of a thing that uh, extroverts would be inclined to? Or um, how do you think that's so-called for our listeners who, cons- listeners who consider themselves introverts? Um, how can they develop that ability um, to network? Because, right, like it's not, I don't think it's, we, we see that's not so in, um, exclusive to entrepreneurship, even lo- like lawyers obviously need to build that mm-hmm, network. Mm-hmm. So. How could those, you know, self-styled introverts, um, sort of, what advice would you have for them? Uh, well, for, first and foremost is is self-confidence, um, and you that I think the the law the fragile ego of the uh, of the law student and, uh, and of the young lawyer um, is a big result of uh, or a consequence of you know the the sort of system that you come through and. 
you know, that, that sort of self-flagellating drive to, uh, to, where nothing you do is ever good enough for yourself, uh, which is a really powerful motivator. Um, you know, and it's probably a lot of that motivation that's gotten law students to where they are and, and young lawyers to where they are. Um, but it's really easy to forget uh, you know, how hardworking and how intelligent, uh, how educated, how detail-oriented, and how all those skill sets that got you to where you are now, mm-hmm. um, it's really easy to come out of law school and think that they don't apply anymore. Um, and okay, all of a sudden this is this new world and now I have to learn this. But all of those same skills still apply. Um, and in the same way that you use you know, you, those, those abilities and those, those skills and those, those, learned, um, those learned things that you've picked up along the way, they're still going to serve you well in the workplace. Um, it's just a matter of a you know, slightly different application. And it's not even that different of an application because every lawyer that you meet or everybody that you meet within this law firm environment uh, has that same common frame of reference of having gone to law school and gone through the process. So... And you know, of course, pre-selected for the for the the way of thought by the by the LSAT and the the applications and formal education, all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, the first <laughs> and most important thing to networking is to have confidence, um, and you know, to realize that when you go in and you sit down in, in front of somebody, uh, and they're going to ask you stuff about law. To realize that you know more than you probably know more than they do about law. They might know more about business and world and you know politics or you know sort of whatever area you're in. Uh, but as far as the law goes, you've got more training than you know 99. Point, you know you're the 0.1 percent. Um, so you're going in there with the with the confidence and the you know, in in yourself and in your your skill set and in your knowledge is a big part of it. Um, and secondly, uh, you. Know, Networking is not, I wouldn't call it an ability, uh, I'd call it more of a skill, and skills can be learned. Um, you know, in the same way that you can learn to swim, you can learn to ride a bicycle, you can learn to, you know, I don't know, make lazy Susans in the wood shop, or you know, whatever, whatever it is that you've learned along the way, um, you, you could apply your same learning abilities uh, that you, to, the, to this new paradigm of uh, you know, meeting people and, and building in a network. As Frank, you know, a network is just people. Um, so you know, networking is a uh, is a planned activity. Uh, it takes preparation. Uh, it takes research. You know, if you're if you're going into uh, you know a cold networking event where it's just a bunch of people standing around awkwardly in a room uh, talking about business and and trying to uh, trying to generate leads and stuff. Um, you, know, you can still do research beforehand if there's an event page or something that says, okay, these are the people that are going. You can sort of research the people that are there and say, okay, this, this person seems really interesting. That person seems, I'd like to meet so-and-so. I'd like to meet people in this field. Who's the event organizer? You know, I'll go and I'll find the event organizer first because they're going to know more people than I am. They're going to suggest people I can talk. So, you know, that, that research skill, um, you know, if you apply that, that same law school skill set that you have, uh, to this different situation, you're going to get better outcomes. Um, active listening, I think, is uh, is probably the the second. You know, asking people questions about themselves. Um, you know, so, and I think introverts are tend to be better at that than extroverts because extroverts like to talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being mostly an extro- extrovert myself, uh, you know, I, it's real easy for me to go on you know sort of long rambling tangents and as soon as I get excited about something yeah, yeah. I want to share it right. whereas you know introverts uh, will tend to tend to be better listeners in general 
um, and using that active listening skills and getting people talking about themselves. Because frankly, you know, active listening is one of your most valuable skills as a lawyer. Uh, your client, yes, they know you know more about the law than them, but most of them really aren't that interested in the law itself. You know, any any opinion letter that starts off with you know justice so and so as he then was uh, wrote in the right. decision of uh, the Supreme Court of Canada in two thousand. Client doesn't care about any of that. They want to know how what's what's my problem. Uh, how do I get around? Yeah, you know, how do I get around it, or how do I get out of it? How do I resolve this? Uh, and how much is it going to cost me? Um, so you know, being able to sit there and ask questions, and the client does most of the talking, uh, and you know, you can just say, oh, okay, well, you know, I can probably help you with that. Um, so, I guess the third point on that is that you know, networking, like that cold networking, walking into a room, it's probably the least effective form of networking. Um, the best networking and the best clients and the best source of referrals are the people you already know. Um, so your networking can be as simple as getting together with people that you know and you trust one-on-one -on -one and just letting them know that this is what I'm doing now. Um, and that applies to whether you're in a big firm or a small firm or working for yourself or whatever, or in government, whatever it is you're doing, just, oh, I haven't seen these people in a while. Uh, they have, you know, they, even if they don't have anything to do with your business, uh, as soon as they know what you're doing, they can tell everybody that they know. Um, and, you know, my, my associate has, has realized much the same thing. Like his, his first referrals for his own clients that he, that he went out and got himself came from, you know, his neighbor down the hall who's a lawyer. Uh, they came from, you know, a friend of the family. They came from, uh, you know, his, his fishing buddies. Uh, those people he already knows. And gradually over time that expands. As more and more people learn about what it is that you're doing, you start to develop a professional reputation and then, you know, your network sort of, sort of runs itself. Um, so it, I don't think being an extrovert is a, is a prerequisite for, uh, for being a lawyer or for being a good lawyer. Um, and at the end of the day, you, you have to do business and you have to find clients and you have to build relationships in a way that's comfortable for you. Because um, if you hate doing it, then you're probably gonna probably not gonna enjoy your 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 job your career very much, uh, and secondly, people can sense when it's not genuine. Like I, I don't know if you've ever sat across the table from somebody who's obviously uncomfortable with with whatever the situation is, you know, whether it's an interview or a, right. you know a, a, an initial meeting or you know, a client meeting or whatever it is. But you could tell when they're not comfortable and when they're not in their element, um, and. You, people don't want to be around people that they make uncomfortable sure. in general, unless you're a sociopath. <laughs> um, that's great. Um, so I guess let's get into the, um, we'll talk, we'll get a little bit into, I, I guess this personal development, cause it seems a lot of, um, what you do as an entrepreneur and a lawyer, I mean, you're building relationships and that also in a way kind of builds yourself and your abilities. Um, Let's get into um, the, I guess, the difficulty or the, the, the challenges. I mean, you know, we hear, we always hear, well, 80% of businesses fail in the first year or whatever, and then, uh, right, and so on, et cetera. Um, and even as a highly educated professional, right, starting a business can be difficult and risky. So what are the obstacles you faced in your firm and what aspects continue to be a challenge? Uh, so as far as the difficulty and risk in that like 80% uh, stat, um, 
you know, that applies generally to like all businesses across Canada. Um, but as far as law goes, you don't hear about many failed law firms. Mm. Um, and the reason for that is that you know, law compared to basically any other business, law is a really easy business to succeed in um, because it's a, it's a closed market. You know, you have to have a license to do it. Um, it's the, you know, the barriers to entry are really high. So you're not, you're not getting a whole lot of competition. It's can't easily be outsourced. Um, and you know, frankly, your margins are ridiculously high. Um, so you know, really your only costs of doing business, your only essential costs of doing business, uh, are your law society dues and your insurance. So, you know, $5,000 a year. Um, and if you're billing $200 an hour, you know, you, you can do the math. It doesn't take you, doesn't take you very long to pay that off. Um, so, you know, the, and after you've paid that off, if you're billing $200 an hour, the next hour you work is $200 of profit. Uh, whereas, you know, it, in my, one of my side hustles is I'm a, I'm a part owner of a, of a distillery. So, you know, we sell a bottle of, uh, you know, we sell a bottle of gin for $40. Uh, out of that, the government takes $33. We're left with about seven dollars to uh, pay for the spirit that's in it, uh, the cost of production, the you know the bottle itself, the label, the marketing, the branding, the advertising, uh, the uh, and a, a part of the overhead, uh, and that's before ever even thinking about making a profit. Wow. Uh, so you know, in order to make two hundred dollars, we have to sell you know a hundred bottles of gin. Uh, so that's a hundred different sales. But in order to make two hundred dollars, you know, I have to sell one hour of work. Uh, and it's very rare that a client needs only one hour of work. Mm -hmm. uh, so on the scale of difficulty, starting a law firm is way easier than starting any other, any other business. Uh, and I don't know if there's any stats out there on it. Uh, if there are, please somebody send them to me. But you know, as far as failure rates of law firms, uh, you know, if it's due to anything, uh, it's probably due to people taking on too much overhead uh, from an early stage. So you know, too many expenses compared to income. Um, but as far as the, you know, the, the practical challenges that faced me, uh, money was the biggest one. Uh, I was starting my firm basically right away after articling, and uh, I then and still had uh, student debt. You know, then it was uh, significantly more, um, and I was you know staring down the barrel of uh, of having to repay that, and plus all the interest and that sort of stuff, um, and you know, that combined with the cost of living in Toronto and everything, uh, put a lot of financial pressure on. So for the, about the first two years or so, uh, I was one bad month away from bankruptcy. Wow. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll never forget that feeling uh, because you know, there, there'd, be day, there'd be times when I'm like, okay, well, you know, am I gonna be able to make rent this month? Um, and you know, as as I'd be walking home from you know a client meeting or something like that, or you know walking home from a friend's place, and I'd look up and I'd count how many floors of my old firm were still lit up, and I'd check my watch, um, and it'd be you know one o'clock on a Saturday morning, and you know there would be four floors of my old firm still lit up. I'm like okay, well there you know there there's sufficient motivation to to gut it out, but you know that's also the motivation to to get to work. Um, and I certainly didn't choose the, the easiest path. You know, I, I'm selective about the clients that I work with and the you know the type of businesses that I advise, um, and the you know the specifically the type of work that I do, um, which means it's you know I'm not going to be profitable as quickly. Um, so I could have made it easier on myself, but then I would have been 
you know, sacrificing that long-term vision of working with socially, environmentally, ethically responsible small businesses, you know, leave the world a little better than I found it. So um, the money is an intimidating factor, um, but, you know, I, I, you know, lawyers, you're generally credit worthy um, and your ability to make it back uh, and, the, you know, the opportunities that you have to make it back and make it back fairly quickly, um, you know, and if I can do it, I'd imagine that most law students, you know, or most new lawyers can do it, uh, despite what uh, what people like to tell you that right. uh, you know you you don't have the the funding or the experience. It's just a matter of you know, as long as you keep your expenses lower than your income, you're probably going to do okay. Right. And um, now with technology, it seems a little um, easier to have a sort of paperless office or remote office. Would you say that's right? Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, a lot of that's a marketing perspective as well. Um, so to instead of viewing not having an office as, you know, a hindrance on your business, it, it's something that you can sell. It's a it's a differentiating thing. You know, I, I will come to you. You know, like how many, can you, if you go back, you know, even 20 years, how many lawyers are going to travel to their client's office or their client's homes in order to give legal advice? You know. Uh, so, you know, do clients do clients really care whether or not their their lawyers have a fancy boardroom? You know, nowadays they probably do care because they're thinking, okay, well, how much of my fees are paying for this? You know, how how much value of this is going to the you know the Cadillac Fairview Corporation in rent, uh, and how much of this is actually going to the lawyers doing the work? How much is going to pay for the art on the walls? So, um, you know, technology is you know certainly a uh, an enabler. Um, you know, you can. You, and you know, the ability to outsource research and uh, the ability to be more efficient and more cost effective in your work, um, the ability to work from anywhere. Um, and you know, I think knowing how to use technology um, and just the basic stuff like you know, accounting software. Um, you know, if, you can, if you can do your own accounting, there's a fair bit of money that you can save yourself in, in bookkeeping expenses every month. Because you know, every dollar you don't spend is a dollar that you don't have to earn in order to be able to <laughs> or, or a do, an extra dollar you can put on your uh, on your student debt. Awesome. So, you know, you've talked about the challenges of working for yourself. Now let's get into the rewards. What's your favorite part of your uh, working for yourself, and just what's the favorite part of your work in general? Uh, the favorite part of working for myself is the ability to say no. Um, you know, I the the vision of Intrepid Law that advising socially, environmentally, ethically responsible small business. Um, is it came from a desire to make the world a better place, um, and you know, sort of vowed to myself and, and put it in the, the outward image of uh, of the firm that it, it's not something I'm willing necessarily willing to waver on, um, and because at the end of the day I want to feel good about the work that I'm doing. Um, you know, I, I take a a different uh, view from uh, you know sort of the conventional view in law, where I don't think necessarily everybody does deserve legal representation, mm-hmm. um, and I think the world would probably be a better place if more lawyers said no. Um, you know, if people who were a holes didn't have lawyers to help them do it, uh, right. just because they had a bunch of money, then uh, the world could be a, a really different place. So. Um, that ability to say no, and you know, not that everybody I've, you know, I've met lots of nice people that are in uh, you know businesses that you know whether it's oil and gas business or um, you know, sort of international you know, mercenary company. <laughs> I've, I've met some interesting people along the way, 
um, where I don't necessarily agree with the, the ethical model of the business. Um, so I've got the ability to say no. Uh, whereas if I was working for somebody else, that is the firm's client and you know, shut up and do the work. Um, so yeah, that, that one on the, uh, uh, on the favorite part of the job or the favorite part mm -hmm. of working for myself. Um, you know, as far as the, the work in general, and I, I guess in a similar theme, uh, the clients that I say yes to uh, are, you know, never cease to amaze me. Um, I work with, or I get the opportunity to meet and work with and sort of help, help to build the businesses of some really amazing people that are doing, that are doing fantastic things. Uh, you know, not every business is a, you know, a social purpose business, uh, but you know, the way they treat their employees, uh, the way they treat their customers, the way they, uh, the way they do business um, is you know, cooperative and community building. Um, and it's really inspiring to be around people like that. They, they, you know, you're, they say you're the product of the you know, five people you spend the most time right. with. Yeah. Um, and you sort of expand that out to a, you know, a client network where you, know, you might have uh, you know, 100, 150 clients that you stay in touch with regularly. Um, and they tend to know people with a with a similar mindset, so it becomes this this self reinforcing loop where your your clients be, almost become a filter for you. Uh, they don't want to refer douchebags to you, or if, you know, they're I've I've had clients tell me that oh you know I had a friend who was uh, who was asking you about, but you know I don't think that they're your type of client, so right. I you know I sent them to somebody else. I hope you're not offended. Um, and that, you know, far from being offended, you know, I'm, I'm grateful because if you know the client who knows how I like to work uh, thinks that you know it's not a good fit, then you know they they know them better than I do, right? right. So, um, you know, it, it really helps keep my keep my schedule clear of uh, of douchebags, and uh, <laughs> um, you know, it makes it real easy to get up in the morning knowing yeah. that uh, you know through the course of the day I'm just going to keep running into uh, running into awesome people. Wow, that's awesome. Um, so I want to take, I guess, switch gears a bit and talk about uh, the lifestyle that you've built for yourself. And I think many, you know, young lords would be a little envious of this lifestyle. It's obviously built upon hard work. Um, but, uh, you know, I noticed that you really prioritize, I guess, your physical and mental health. So. I mean, have you always been uh, well balanced, so to speak, to use for lack of a better term, or was this something that it was kind of like a, a turning point in your life that made you switch over? Because I know you know a lot of people in law school, and I assume a lot of lawyers. It's you know where we tend to be workaholics, and so yeah, was that something you kind of like in law school and you? just continued through till today or was there a sort of epiphany or a shift in your life while you where you really had to kind of look at yourself and consciously make that change uh yeah it's a so like that sort of balance and every everybody talks about yeah. of like work-life balance you know uh, i i don't i see that as a sort of artificial divide yeah. um you know especially with with my you know with the with the way i do business i'm always working but i'm never working um, you know, I have some freedom to dictate my schedule, uh, you know, subject to when my clients are available and when we're, when we're able to line things up. Um, but it's, you know, balance is a, is a constant project. Uh, it constantly requires attention. You know, if you think just that very concept of, you know, 
whether you're standing on you know the the fulcrum of a teeter-totter uh, or on a stability ball or you know trying to stand on one leg or whatever you know there's there's constant adjustments required mm-hmm. um, and if you go too far one way you're gonna fall over um, so you know I've certainly fallen over <laughs> uh, I've you know I've gone too far down the um, down the working side of things uh, and I've also gone too far down the relaxing side of things um, and it's really a matter of I think the older you get, the more you learn to listen to your body and what your body's telling you. Because um, you're, you know, yes, there are limits that you can push, uh, but if you are constantly, you know, bumping up against that barrier, you're going to break down. Whether it's mentally, whether it's physically, um, and you, if you break down, you're doing a disservice to yourself. Uh, you're doing a disservice to the people who love you. Um, you're doing a disservice to your clients. Um, and you, you you can certainly always get it back, but you know, if you if you don't allow you get yourself to get to that to that point of breaking down, um, you know, and you which requires you stopping <laughs> stopping from time to time and asking, you know, is what I'm doing still valid? Um, which you know that's a, a lot of this sort of um, the work drive uh, and the the, men, the mental physical balance I learned from the army. Um, is you know physical fitness. If you are, uh, if your body is in not in good condition, right. then your mind is not going to be like your mind is just part of the body. As much as we like to imagine that they're different, it's just another organ in the body, and it's subject to the same to the same rules of fitness as the rest of your body. Um, and at the same time, your you know your mind is the the driver of your body, where you know you can you can push yourself through things that you didn't think you could do physically. So, um, you know, I, I've certainly had my moments where I've gone too far either way, uh, but it's, you know, it, I think that's one of the, uh, certainly why smarter people than me have said that uh, it's, uh, you know, life is just a search for balance. Right. Okay. Um, so this is, I guess, some people would view it as a little tangential, but, um, so I know you've, uh, I guess, benefited and a lot of you know, lawyer, uh, entrepreneurial lawyers have kind of brought these, uh, I guess, introduced me to these books and these sorts of literatures. It's, I guess, this personal development literature. And it, I mean, in, on one hand, it t- this whole self-help industry can kind of, um, you know, we have parts that aren't really helpful and it's a lot of it's just marketing. But, you know, there's these kind of, I guess, timeless classics that have, uh, you know, really helped six people be successful and you know Tim Ferriss for example you've um, told me about how he's how his sort of strategies have helped you improve your efficiency um, so I guess what sort of impact has have they made on your life work and success um, yeah I think it comes down to, to reading in general um, and like, uh, so what you've been talking about is the, you know, Tim, for- Tim Ferriss wrote the four hour work week, right. um, which is, you know, how does he make a, make a quite a healthy living, uh, while only working for hour, four hours a week. Um, and you know, some of those things apply to law. Um, some of, well, <laughs> it's, I haven't quite tested the limits of, uh, of how far those things can go. Um, but basically like the, the sort of most. Uh, the most public aspect of it is that I check my email twice a day. 
Um, so I have an auto responder on my email that, you know, as soon as you send me an email, it says, you know, I've received your email. Uh, you know, I check my email twice a day at this time and this time. You can expect a response then. If it's a real emergency, you can call me on my you can call me on my cell phone like Drake. Um, <laughs> and you know, f what that does is that frees up five hours in the middle of my day uh, when I can work without interruption. Um, and it's not so much the the client interruption. Um, is frankly with the type of work I do, there's not really ever such thing as an emergency, uh, but it's to work without expectation uh, in myself of inter in myself like me interrupting myself. Uh, so you know, I, I would imagine that most people who've worked on a computer, you know, you're you're working away on something, and then you go to like open a document or something. You're waiting for a page to load, and then you click over to your email, and you're like, oh, now okay, now I get lost in that, well, down and the now. Hole. Uh, oh, well, uh, you know, well, that's loading. I'm going to check my Facebook and then you go down that rabbit hole and then all of a sudden it's two hours later and you still haven't got your work done. Um, and a lot of that comes from your, your own expectation of, you know, connectedness and wanting to know what's going. So, you know, I don't get notifications on my phone. Um, so when I, you know, when I unlock my phone and I look at it, uh, there's no little, the only thing that comes up is text messages because it's, uh, you know, generally, you know, family and, and loved ones that text me. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes clients text me and they sort of sneak through. Uh, but because it, you know, my phone doesn't beep or the, a light doesn't go on, there's no sort of, there's nothing that tells me that I have a message waiting for me. Uh, I tend not to check very much either. Um, so you, the, the trade-off with clients on that is that, Okay, they might not got you know get that immediate satisfaction of a response, but you know not much legal advice that you give instantaneously and on the spot right. is going to be very thoughtful legal advice anyway. Um, and you know, the the trade off for the client in that is that they you, they know that when it's their time when I'm doing their work, uh, I'm going to be focused on it. Um, so it enables me to get a lot more done uh, and be a lot more focused. Uh, and you know, it enables me to protect my evenings and my weekends. Um, so I don't check my email on weekends. I don't check it after four o'clock. Uh, you know, I just flat out don't look at it. If it's an actual emergency, somebody will call me. Um, with the number of times that happen, you know, I can count them on you know two fingers. The number of times that happened. <laughs> um, so you know, that's the that's the Tim Ferriss thing. The you know, in general, the sort of uh, you know, I think reading in general. Um, you know, Tim Ferriss was a, it was a book that was recommended to me. Uh, and, you know, I've read some stuff in the self-help category, but I try to read as, from as, as broad a set of subjects as possible. Because uh, I'm a firm believer that learning, um, whether individual or group learning, it's iterative. Um, meaning that you, you go out and you gather all this knowledge from all these different sources and you use that to build a base that you stand on to advance your understanding. So it's not some straight line where you go out and you learn a thing and it's you know that's immediately applicable in your life, or you just sort of immediately plug it in with all this other stuff that you know, and you know you're you're constantly growing in this you know sort of straight line growth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in reality, you work and work and work and work and work and work and work, and then all of a sudden you take a you take a big leap forward when everything sort of all comes together and you have a different way of looking at the world. Uh, but the only way you can build a really strong base. Uh, is to take knowledge from you know as many sources as you can, as many credible sources as you can. Um, so you know, I read you know, some some personal development stuff. I read on leadership. Um, I read on physics. I read on biology. Uh, you know, I read literature. I, you know, I try to read poetry, but you know, <laughs> I have a difficult time. You know, philosophy. Um, 
wow. you know, all sorts of nonfiction, you know, biographies, uh, you know, as much stuff as possible. You know, I find it so painful when uh, I talk to lawyers that, you know, about something interesting that I'm reading and they say, oh, you know, I read so much at work already. But all you're reading when you're at work is law stuff. Like, I still read the Ontario reports and Supreme Court judgments and, you know, articles that people put out on, on subject. Like, you know, I do that professional reading. But if you limit yourself to just that one thing, um, you know, you're, you're only doing yourself and your clients a disservice. Um, so, you know, the, the broader base, uh, I think, that you, can, uh, that you can get in your own, in your, in your own self-directed learning, uh, and that goes for anybody, not just, not just a lawyer, but the more you can go out and pull information from different sources, uh, the more you'll start to discover truths, um, the more you'll start to uh, be able to apply different methods of thinking uh, and different schools of thought to the issues that you face uh, in, in your personal life, in your practice, um, in your work life, in building your business. Um, you know, there, the, the entire wealth of human, the entire human history of mm-hmm. thought is available. You can just go down and take it for free the out of the library. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just blows my mind. It, it, there's a ton of stuff on the internet, but like, mm-hmm. you know, it, the internet is not books. So, right. um, that's my that's my rant awesome. on rant yeah. on learning, continuing learning. All right, so we're just about gonna close off here, but um, I want to get into this idea of mentorship. You know. We've seen successful people, a lot of them seem to have this mentor figure or you know, more than one mentors in their life, um, and some haven't. So my question to you is, did you have a mentor? And you know, what advice would you give to a law student or a young uh, lawyer who's seeking a mentor? Um, so yeah, I have, a, I have a number of mentors. Um, and. You know, for that that suits me quite fine because I've got uh, you know I've got a short attention span and a bunch of different sort of projects and stuff on the go, um, but especially in the early days of my business, uh, you know it was a lot more focused and you know, I was a lot more reliant on the, on the mentors that I did have, um, you know and I have business mentors, uh, I have legal mentors, uh, I've got sales mentors, I've got uh, life mentors, you know and it it can be as simple as parents and grandparents. Um, you know, people who've walked down this path before um, you know, is what we like to sort of lock our lock up our elders and institutionalize them uh, when we we should be you know sitting down with them and trying to get as much information out of their heads as because they've done all this stuff right. before and they've lived longer than longer than we have. So obviously they're doing something right. Yeah. Um, you know that that same sort of concept of the the broader you can cast your net uh, and the. The more different, um, the more different perspectives that you can get, um, the more likely you are to come up with a, a well-rounded solution to a problem. Um, I think a lot of us have an image of mentorship in our head from you know sort of movies about you know so and so comes out of you know the Wolf of Wall Street, he, you know right. first day on the job, the senior partner uh, you know takes him out to lunch and like the become. Shows them the way, like all, yeah. when in reality, it very rarely ever happens like that. Uh, people are busy. Uh, you know, new people come in, come and go at businesses all the time. Um, you know, there's formal mentorship programs uh, that that are established. That you know, uh, my experiences with them haven't necessarily been great. Um, but 
you know, that, that informal mentorship where you seek somebody out and just asking them questions, that's, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Like somebody who's willing to sit down with you and have a coffee um, and you, know, you, can, you can put questions to them that uh, have, have stumped you. Um, or you can ask for advice, or you can you know sort of benefit from from their experience. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a, a prerequisite for success. Um, you know, what, what is success anyway? I guess. But uh, as far as your your ability to solve problems and to uh, you know, at the end of the day, you still have to make decisions. Uh, a mentor can, can can only give you advice, and their advice is limited to, to their experience. But you know, if you're the more of those perspectives you're able to gather, the more uh, you know, the more balance you'll be able to find in in your approach to problems. Wow. Well, Mike Cook, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Legal Entrepreneurs Podcast. You can find more info on Mike and his work on the Intrepid Law website. If you enjoyed the podcast and got something out of it, I'd appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn. Please share the show with a friend or colleague who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for your continued support, and until next time, this is Tony Domino telling you to dare to roar.